Welcome to the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast, presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Need great health care coverage with an affordable price tag? Let Farm Bureau Health Plans coach you through it. They've been protecting Tennesseans for 75 years. I'm Amy Wells. Thank you for listening to the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast. Coach Mac, he's here too, of course. Hi, Mac. How are you? Amy, I'm doing great. I can't wait to do this Titans Amy and Coach Mac before our next game. The last two have been good. Let's keep it going. Absolutely. The Titans got the win over the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. That makes them 2-2 two and two this season. They are 1-0 and oh in the division, which is... Very important. And now we're heading to Washington, D.C., or, you know, the surrounding areas of Washington, D.C. Metro D.C., is that what you call it? Where actually is the stadium? Uh, it's in Maryland. All right, land over Maryland. Okay, we'll be there. I'm sure the bus will take us there. Yeah, as long as somebody else is driving, I think we're okay. But we're taking on the Washington Commanders. They're currently 1-3, and three, and we're going to have to find the stadium. But once we do, I think it's going to be a fun game. <laughs> So let's look back at the Colts real quick, just before we completely turn the page. Mac, what were a couple bright spots that really stuck out to you about that game? First of all, I thought the defensive front did a tremendous job against Jonathan Taylor because to be able to hold an, an elite back like that to as few yards on as many carries, that was I mean, that was a big part of the game plan, and they did a tremendous job of that. And within that, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons is doing a lot of dirty work right now because he draws a lot of attention. He's getting a lot of double teams, both run and pass. And he was he was really holding a spot. He and Tierra Tart were doing a tremendous job of holding their gaps, getting a knockback. And then I think we'd both be remiss if we didn't say how Dylan Cole and Joel Schobert did in there as linebackers. Just I mean, put in there out of out of really necessity. And both of those guys had an outstanding game and a continuous game. And what they were really able to do, they did a nice job with their key and diagnose on what was going on, and they were able to get ahead of blocks. So when inside linebackers can get ahead of blocks, then they can start getting downhill and getting into the backfield. They did that. What's an area or two that the Titans maybe need to improve upon before facing the Washington Commanders? Well, I, I think I think still in the secondary, you've got to, you've got to eliminate the explosive plays. We've had some, some explosives, not not a lot, but some, you know, in every ball game, and you never know, you know, when one's going to be the deciding factor. We need to be able to take care of that. The other thing that I think that they need to continue to do is they need to continue to to grind on the fact that they've got to get Derrick Henry to his fourth step. And we, we've all seen just visually how much of a difference that makes, especially the last two weeks. And it made a lot of difference up there in Lucas Oil. Who's a player that really stood out to you in that contest? Joel Schobert and Dylan Cole. I'll put those into a two-headed jersey. Because what they were, <laughs> what they were asked to do was really significant for this game because we went into the game and and a big part of the game plan was stopping that run. And not only a few times, they did it every time. And and those guys, along with that defensive front, I thought did a tremendous job of of getting that done. Now, of course, you know, you and I've you and I've you know done spots on Danico Autry. We've done spots, but those two guys I think are kind of the unsung heroes of what went on in that game, just because of the short amount of time they've had to get ready for it, and then the production they had. A player that really stood out to me was Chiga Conquell. Obviously, he got his first touchdown of his career, and luckily. I had a chance to talk to our friend Chiga Conquo, rookie tight end. Here's that conversation. We're excited for you to get to know him a little bit. So I've been reading a lot about you. And something that comes up over and over and over again is two words, 
physical specimen. Yeah. What do you think about that? That's a big thing to call somebody a yeah. physical specimen. God's blessed me with a lot of traits, so, you know, get to put them to use. And I guess, you know, people start making up names like that. That's funny. I mean, that's funny. I never heard that one, but yeah. I guess, you know, God has blessed me more than others. Being able to have that, the body type that you're supposed to have to be a tight end, having the, the athletic attributes that you have, the athleticism, the strength, the speed, all of those things kind of makes you a no-brainer for the tight end position. Were there other positions you wanted to play or was this pretty much it for you? Growing up, like, yeah. growing up I was actually like playing wide receiver. Okay. And then like high school, I played kind of like that tight end spot, but it, we had like an offense where we always threw the ball. So I was kind of really like still a wide receiver. So I actually came to college like 210 pounds, you know, and you know, that's not a tight end. No. I came to college 210 pounds, you know, I put on like, you know, 40 pounds over four years. So I actually was never really, you know, that big dude. I was always kind of, you know, the smaller tight end. I guess I am still today, but yeah, I put in a lot of work, you know, to get to that point. So I wasn't always like this. I always had to, you know, grind, you know, the weight room, do extra stuff, you know, to try to get big. Was that diet? Was that exercise? Was that a combination of the two? I'd say, yeah, a combination of both, you know, just, I would luckily me, like, like, lucky me, I could just eat whatever I wanted because like they, I always had to gain weight, gain a lot of weight. So I could always, you know, just want to go get a cheeseburger, go get some pizza. Like I can, I could do that because I didn't have to really ever watch my weight because I was always going to be a gainer. So. It was pretty easy, actually. You know, you just did the workouts that your coaches gave you, ate whatever you want, and get big. Man, that's the dream, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Oh, that's that's just great. You did have a little bit of a setback, though. Yeah. 2020, you're not playing football at all. Myocarditis. Mm -hmm. Yep. When you get news like that, that not only do you have a condition that doesn't come from an injury, doesn't come from anything that happened football related. Right. It's just one of those things. And you may or may not be playing football within a year, within two years. You don't really know. How do you respond to something like that? Yeah, it was really weird at the time because, you know, when I was going through the process, when I went to go to the doctor, mm -hmm. before they even told me that like I wasn't going to be able to play you know, that year, I kind of felt it in my own body. I was like, if I were to go out right now, because I, I think at the time they were doing like spring football, and I was like, at the time, if I were to go out there right now, would I be able to like do this? And in my mind, I was like, there's no way I'd be able to do this. Like, there's no way I can play this season. So like when they told me I couldn't play, it was kind of like there's a confirmation of something that I already knew. Like, because I was just the way I felt when my body wasn't, I felt that like my body wasn't ready to compete in like a like a, a competitive setting. But yeah, hearing that news, man, it was uh, it was humbling for me. Cause I always thought like it was always gonna be there for me. I was I thought like my career was just starting. Like I was a junior. Like I about to step into a big role. I'm like man, I'm about to be the man. You know everything's going my way. You know I had a great off season and then you know boom, COVID hits, get myocarditis, and it's like dang, will I ever play football again? It's like it's not even like will I be able to come back? You know and still be the same. It's like will I even get a, another opportunity to get out there? You know with my boys, with my brothers, and you know get on that field. So. Um, it was definitely a very humbling experience. It was scary at first, but, you know, I just kept my faith in the Lord that he would always get me back. You know, a lot of prayers, you know, a lot of times, you know, just sitting in my room, just, you know, just keeping faith, you know, just talking to myself, you know, keeping my spirits up, just knowing that I'd always come back, you know, get back to the field and, you know, get back to being my old self. What's harder to overcome the physical aspect of keeping yourself in shape but not doing too much because you have to be careful. Your heart mm -hmm. is a very important part of your body or the mental aspect of knowing that there could be something there all the time. Yeah, 
It's actually funny because with myocarditis, they tell you that you actually can't do anything. Like, I literally was not allowed to do any type of physical exercise, couldn't even do yoga. Like, anything that raised the heart rate, they told me, like, don't do it. But the mental aspect, too, when I got back, it was, it was kind of hard because, you know, when I got back, when I was cleared, you know, when I got back to working out with the team, whenever, like, my heart would beat, like, really, really fast, like, even though just because me being out of shape, I would be like, oh, I'm like, what's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with my heart? Yeah. And, you know, always having that in the back of my head, like, right after I came back, always thinking, like, I would always sit there like this, like, after workouts and just monitor my heartbeat because I would just be scared, you know, right. well, obviously what happened before. But even though, like, I was just out of shape, you know, after I got back, I was good and I'm, I'm fine now, obviously, but... And I don't think that way anymore, but yeah, that's definitely, men- mentally it was hard getting over that, probably more than physically. How do you fill your time when you're used to doing physical activity all the time and then you can't do anything? A lot of anime, a lot of anime, a lot of, a lot of games. Try, I try, I've already tried a, lot of, I've tried a lot of new things when I was, you know, down bad, but a lot of anime, a lot of games, there's a lot of the things that I enjoy, you know, and I actually took, I took like a bigger workload in the, in the classroom that year. Uh-huh because I already knew I was going to play. So I was like, I'm going to take an extra course so I can get it out early, you know, ended up graduating earlier too. So that was cool. You probably had, I mean, incredible grades that year, right? Yeah, that year. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is probably one of my best semesters, like in terms of grades, because, you know, because I was actually wasn't even around the team at all. Like I didn't, I didn't want to go around the team because I didn't want to like get COVID again because you know, they're having, that's when they, they were having like COVID outbreaks like on the daily. Right. And I was like, if I get COVID again and something happens and I have to restart from square one, that'll be bad. So I was like, I'm just going to stay away from the team do all my courses online, and then, yeah. How'd you get into anime? Man. That's not what I expected you to say. Now I'm curious. Yeah, I'm a huge anime fan. Really? Huge. Okay. Anime tattoos everywhere. I mean, like, yeah. I didn't even notice. All right, tell me more. How did you get into this? How did I get into it? Ah, man. I feel like it's like how every kid started with it. Like, we all started watching, like, Dragon Ball Z on, like, Cartoon Network. Uh And then we're all, like, seeing, like, all the fighting, like, Goku, like, going crazy. And we're like, man, this is awesome. And then, you know, you just, whenever it's on, you, at the time it was like Naruto back then, you know, grew up watching that, and, you know, grew up watching that like week by week, you know, till it finished for like 15 years straight, you know, One Piece, all these, all these shows that have just been around since childhood. It's like, you kind of just watch it. Then you're like, you get interested. You're like, oh, I want to know more about anime. And there's, you see that there's like millions of shows out there about like everything you can think of. And it's just a fun world of entertainment. What is it about it that attracts you? Is it the the visual aspect of it? Is it the storylines? Is it what, everything? It's a whole world. It's really. honestly everything. I mean, when you really think about like, just think of like TV shows. How TV shows can be about anything. It's like anime can be about anything. Like there's animes about fighting. There's animes about even cooking. There's animes about gambling. Animes about like everything you could possibly think of. Like any genre, like any topic. Like they probably made an anime about it. And it's just fun to watch. You know. So what are you into right now? What's like the, the current right flavor? Now, there's, just, uh, there's so many shows, but I mean, One Piece, you know, is, is legendary right now. It just finished one of its uh, biggest arcs. So that's, I'll say One Piece right now. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we have to come back to football a little bit, although my brain <laughs> is still very much with the anime thing. Here you are with the Tennessee Titans, which seems ironic to me because you're the number two guy in most receptions in a single season behind Frank Wycheck. Yeah. Which is crazy. And then you're a tight end coming to a team that is notorious for tight ends, Johnny Smith, Delaney Walker. Does it seem a little bit like fate that you ended up here? Yeah, I mean, that is funny. Like when they said the whole thing with Frank Wycheck, because, you know, he obviously went to Maryland too. 
And, you know, always sitting in the Maryland room, like the Maryland tight end room, they have like our like tight end greats. And it's like him, like Vernon Davis. And it's like, I always remember looking at the name, like all my like four years, Frank Wycheck, Frank Wycheck. I'm like, bro, who is Frank Wycheck? And then, cause like, you know, obviously I'm young. And then now coming here and it's like, you know, it's Frank Wycheck, you know, like it's just, it was crazy. Cause like just thinking back, like when I was 18, 19, 20, not even knowing, I'm just looking at the name Frank Wycheck and like not really knowing anything about him. And then now it's like, here he is. Here I am. This is it. <laughs> really, when you're talking to John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, especially before you were drafted here, was there ever a point where you thought, I could play for them? Like, this would be a good fit. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, just like the the brand, the brand of football, like here, you know, just how, you know, tough, physical our players are. I feel like that's one of the main reasons why, you know, they came and got me. If you see in my film, like, or my college film, you know, very tough, you know, physical guy. So I think definitely fit the brand you know, perfectly. And, you know, talking to them, you know, in the pre-draft meetings, I could tell like what kind of team like the Titans are, you know, and I'm like now getting here, you feeling even how much more intense that it really is. It's like, yeah, it's like everything they, you know, they told me everything was, that was just to expect, so yeah. Ever since you arrived in Nashville, there's been a constant buzz around your name and just what you've been able to do so far is it because of coaching where you fit into the scheme well, or is it that you like this atmosphere and so you're thriving? What is it about this place that is setting you up to succeed? I say it's a culmination of everything, you know. Tight ends obviously, you know, benefit a lot, you know, from having a good run game. Obviously we have the, you know, best back in the league. So you know you can definitely benefit a lot of that, a lot of times with play action, you know, the the linebackers come up, you know, we run we run right behind them free, you know, easy catches. So I definitely say it's the system, you know, definitely Nashville is an amazing place, amazing city that's, you know, welcomed me. So, I mean, my mental health is good, you know, coaching is good, coaching is great, it's very intense, but, you know, they make sure you get better and that's that's what it's all about, you know, being a pro. So it's a culmination of everything, definitely helping me out so far. Has it really set in that you are a professional football player in the National Football League? This is actually funny that you say that because I remember last night, I remember just being in my bed thinking, I probably was thinking about but at the end of, at the end of it, I was just like, this is pro football. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's like when I went out to the uh, the first day, the, all the vets got here, and, you know, going out the parking lot and seeing all the cars. I'm like, I'm like, dang, I'm like this is this is crazy. I'm like, look at these dudes' cars. But yeah, it's, it, I don't know if it still hasn't fully hit me yet. Uh -huh. Where's that sound? Because I've been doing it for a while now. But I think you know when we get to play the Giants first game, you know, in the get the real atmosphere. I think that's when it's fully gonna really hit me. Maybe it'll never really hit you. Maybe, maybe it'll maybe. always feel like this weird dream. Yeah, maybe. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with that. Mac, what have you seen in a guy like Chick? Well, first of all, since he's been here, I've seen him improve because, you know, coming into the National Football League for any position is different, but especially that tight end position because it's such a multifaceted position in the National Football League now. You're not just a blocker. You're not just a pass receiver. Uh, you've got to do a lot of things, and plus learning the variations of being on the line, off the line, movement, movement into the backfield. I think he's done a tremendous job. You know, we both watched him. We watched him, you know, in the draft, and then out here when he showed up here in May, you could tell that he's got some athletic ability. Ran the fastest time at the 40 for any tight ends in this last draft that we had, and, and that's starting to show out here. And that third down play that uh, Todd Downing put up was really, really impressive where they put an offset back, put Derrick Henry at fullback, Chig was the dot back, and then 
on a roll boot, went out in the flat, completed, take a knee, game over, Titans win. He's from Maryland. We are going back to Maryland. We now know we're going to be playing the game in Maryland. So it should be a very exciting time for him. Let's move on a little bit to Washington. Let's stop a minute. What? How many tickets you think he's going to have to get? Oh, my gosh. A lot. A lot. Uh, yeah. A, a rookie that's going to play a lot in his first year and everybody's excited. Uh, a lot. Well, when the Titans played the Ravens in the preseason – the whole Maryland football team came to see. Isn't that wild? That that's is, a lot of tickets. That is wild. That's I don't a, think he had to get them, but that's a lot of tickets. He'll be responsible for these, I'll bet. I mean, I always, I always find that interesting because people think that tickets in the National Football League, it's like in college where you just get them. Yeah. Yeah, you get them if you give them American money for them. Yeah. Yeah, you've got you to gotta pay for those, and I bet people want... They want them to be gifted to them. I don't have to provide any tickets. Do you have to provide tickets? I've provided so many tickets in my career. I mean, I could have I could have bought uh, uh, two Bugattis and have one in the garage and be driving one. That's how many <laughs> tickets I've bought in my 37 years. I don't know how much a Bugatti costs, but it sounds expensive. <laughs> it really does. Can we move on now? Yes. Okay. So I want to preview the matchup, of course, but before we do that, there's another little matchup here that we need to discuss because the head coach of the Washington Commanders is Ron Rivera. And that is someone who, Mac, you are extremely close to. You've known for a very long time. So give us a little origin story of Coach Mac, Ron Rivera. Well, Ron Rivera was the second-round pick of the Bears when I came there from Cal. And the linebacking crew that I was in charge of, was they were three – all pros. Mike Singletary, clearly a Hall of Famer in the middle. Wilbur Marshall, Otis Wilson on the outside. But Ron Rivera was the backup for all three spots. He knew all three spots. Extremely, extremely smart. He was a personal protector on the punt team. And he was a guy immediately that you knew. That, that, that 85, 86 Bears group was a pretty unique collection of characters. Not only physical talent, but some real characters. Ron Rivera was always kind of the voice of reason in that locker room. And he really was. I mean, he was a guy that was kind of, you know, could 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 keep a lid on it a little bit. And, and, and the players really respected him. But I really respected him for this. In any other situation, the three backups that I had to those three guys could have started anywhere in the league. That was before free agency. That was before salary cap. So they were there. But Ron Rivera embraced his role, and he learned all three of those spots, and so he, he proved to be very invaluable. Mike Ditka loved him. He Mike Ditka absolutely loved him. I mean, he was very instrumental in getting him drafted from Cal when he came out in the, in the second round, and you just knew whatever Ron Rivera wanted to do after he was through playing, he was going to be very successful, but he always had a kind of a leaning towards the coaching aspect of it, you know, and when he got through playing, he was involved in, in, in really the community relations program and some broadcasting there with the Bears for a little while until he flipped over to the coaching side. You know, on a personal level, when I was head coach of the Bears for six hours, didn't know it for three, in 1999, an interview, I was going to hire Ron as my linebacker coach because he had made the decision that he wanted to go in. And then, you know, throughout his career, I mean, we've, we communicate, you know, quite a bit. But this guy is uh, – I mean, he's he's everything that, that that you would have wanted in a player. That's why he's so successful as a head coach. He's got instant credibility when he comes into the room. He's not the best athlete in his family. His wife Stephanie is. She was a basketball player at Cal, so she was the best athlete in the family. But uh, just just a wonderful human being and a really good ball coach. Now you mentioned that he was able to kind of keep a lid on everything and kind of handle the locker room. 
What is it about him that made him such a strong leader? Well, he's smart to begin with. He's smart, and guys knew that he knows what he's talking about. And he he is the complete opposite of a me guy. It's always about the team, and it's always about and he could he could mediate a lot of things that were going on because when you have a team like that that has that many huge huge personalities, it can sometimes get to be where it's a little edgy at times. He could kind of mediate all of it, and everybody would say, oh, "Okay, you know." Uh, Rivera says this, and so we're good. I always appreciated that in him. And he was always – and the other thing about him was is some guys are just intuitive enough to get a feel for what's going on in the locker room before it ever goes on. He was one of those dudes. When players decide that they might want to pursue coaching, sometimes there's a conversation that's had with them because the player experience is so different than the coach experience. They're just very different worlds, even though they work in concert together, obviously. How did you know that he would be a good fit for the coaching world? Because it's definitely not for every former player. Well, first of all, his wife was in on it. I mean, ah. she, was, she, was, she was for it. She was for it, and and we had this conversation. I said, "How how's Steph feel? Because that's important. You know, he's got two children. You know, how's Steph feel about it?" And he said, "You know, she's all in. She's all in, coach. She was an athlete, and then she was a coach. She was a basketball coach. So, she got it. She got it. So that always makes that a little easier for a coach when your wife is fully vested and and, and fully in. Plus, he was always asking questions, Amy, looking forward to what was going to happen after he retired. He was always asking questions and he was always, I mean, he was, he was the guy that would sit and, and, and watch tape, you know, when everybody was gone, he's the guy that would ask pretty intuitive questions about the why of what was going on, not just particularly at at what we were playing or who we were playing, but like in, in schemes in the league or trends in the league, why you think this is going on, Mac, why you think this? So, I mean, he was, he was working towards that. The whole time. He just needed a chance. And since then, I mean, you know, he's been a coordinator in the league. He's been a head coach at two places. I mean, the guy's legit. What is the maybe trademark of a Ron Rivera team? I mean, what makes you look at a team and say, oh, yeah, that that's Ron's? Well, he's a bear, and so it's going to be physical. I mean, he's an old school bear, so it's going to be physical. He's going to he's going to run the football, and he's going to expect his defense to play regardless of what the offense is doing. I mean, that's how he was raised with the Bears. That's how we were, and that's exactly what he, all his teams have been. Now, you know, he's he's was been a four three coach. He's been a three four coach. He he's very well schooled in the forty six defense. I mean, but it's going to be physical because if you're going to play for Ron Rivera, if you're going to play for any of the of, of those of us that were with the Bears at that time, that's just in your blood. So do you have plans this week as the Titans travel? Are you going to see him? Are you guys going to interact? Here's the plans I have. Beat the brakes off of them. <laughs> That's my plan. That's it? Yeah, then then we'll be friends afterwards. We'll be friends then, but, I mean, that's just the way this league is. I've got a great affection for Ron Rivera, but for three hours and ten minutes, I want to beat the brakes off of him. I like that. I appreciate that. So let's talk about the football of it a okay. little bit. This commander's team doesn't have the best record, but I don't think the record reflects this team and what they're able to do. Tell me why. Well, first of all, You've got to look at the way some of their games have gone. They've fallen behind early. They haven't been successful very much in the first half offensively. They've picked it up in the second half. They fought. The scores got separated on them pretty early. 
They've, they've had some injuries like everybody else has, okay? They, uh, he built his team. You asked me about uh, Ron Rivera team. He built his team on four first-round draft picks on the defensive front. He lost his he lost his water moccasin outside in Chase Young early on. They're still able to do some of the things they want to do defensively. Their running game has not quite been what they want it to be. They want to run the football. He's had some offensive line problems and issue mainly protecting his quarterback he he had three receivers that could really be a problem in open space Jahan Dotson now is injured the rookie you know from Penn State but he's still got the two Ohio State guys you know out there scary Terry McLaurin is 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 very scary speed <laughs> take the top off of it you know quite a bit and then Samuel so he's he's got the the, the what it takes to be able to put some points up, but I think he would like to get his offensive line a little more settled and and still be able to lean on the run game because Scott Turner, their offensive coordinator, is the son of Ron Turner, who was a longtime coordinator in the league and head coach, and and, and more specifically was the, the coordinator for those Dallas great teams. And it was all, you know, run, play, action oriented with Aikman and that group. And so that's what they'd like to do. Carson Wentz is the quarterback for the Commanders, and of course, he's an experienced veteran player. We've seen him in a couple different places. What's the key to stopping him on Sunday? Well, you've got to put pressure on him, and you need to get pressure in his face quick and really up the middle because pressure pressure uh, has has bothered him, you know, quite a bit. When he first came into the league, I mean, you know, he was he was vetted along with Jared Goff. Either one's going to be one or two pick. I was at the Rams at that time, so we vetted both of those guys. He's an exceptional athlete. He's very smart. But the issue the issue with him is he's such a good athlete that when he was at, at North Dakota State, he could always he could always forfeit to his legs. Okay. Well, he he started trying to do that in the National Football League, and it catches up to you pretty quick because those dudes chasing you are a lot faster. And they're a lot more violent than what you're what what he faced. And so, you know, he got injured. He got injured, and then, you know, then of course Nick Foles steps in and wins a Super Bowl at Philly. And so, I think that that's kind of started his leveling off, and even his. And when he went to Indy, it wasn't good for him there at Indy. And so, this is kind of a rebirth for him now. But you ask me what you need to do. You got to get pressure. You got to get pressure on the inside of the cylinder on him as soon as you can. And their offensive line, which you said earlier, has experienced some struggles early in the season that's kind of a big part of that right right but he still he still can throw the ball down the field I mean they, they've got two receivers that still you know are, are in the top 10 in the league as, as explosive plays which are plus 20 and so you just can't you got to get him off his spot is what you have to do get him off his spot early on the defensive side of the ball and we talked about this a little bit they're they're kind of stacked what is it that makes them so solid maybe even beyond that front well, that's it. And, 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 and Jack Del Rio is their defensive coordinator, been a head coach in the league for a long time. I know Jack very well. And, and he and Ron both, they're very technique sound coaches. They don't like, they don't like a lot of hully-gully stuff going on with their defenses. And when they set a game plan, they expect everybody to be in lockstep with what's going on. And when you watch them play and you watch the tape, you can tell everybody kind of fits where they're supposed to fit. Now, people are going to get beat. One-on-one in this league, that's just the way it is because you're playing against NFL teams. You're playing against NFL players. But as far as cohesiveness as to where they're supposed to be, you can see it throughout even the games they have not won. They're pretty cohesive on defense. What is the definition of hully gully? Uh, Rat ball. It's rat ball. You know, it's like rats just, you know, when, when you open the door and rats start scurrying around the room and take (laughs) off running if you live in a house with rats in it. You know, well, this is what, what, that's what rat ball just rats going everywhere they want to. All 
right. Well, I'm glad I asked that question. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Overall, what are some of the keys to getting this win on Sunday? You got to get Derrick Henry to his fourth step like we have the last two weeks. That's the genesis of all our success on offense, and we've got to continue that. And it's going to be a task, you know, against this defensive front and against this uh, disciplined defense that we've talked about. We've got to get that going. The other thing that has to happen is Traylon Burks is not playing. Somebody else has to step up you know, to, to, to help out there because the play action game the last two weeks has been really good. And it's been really good attacking quarters coverage. It's been really good attacking three deep coverage, but you've got to have the run game to get the draw that, that you need. We've got to be really good on special teams this week. It's an outdoors game. I don't know how much wind we'll have. You'll tell us down there on the sideline, but you're going to have to be able to flip this field some because for a while, this is going to be a slug fest because both teams believe in playing defense. So you're, you're, Special teams need to flip the field. And anytime you're kicking outdoors, those kickers, they've got to figure it out. They've got to figure that wind out, you know, pretty quick. I don't know really how the wind blows in FedEx Field. I've been there, played there before, but not recently, you know. And so that's going to be something that's going to be very, very important to look at. But we're going to have to have some people step up in some positions because, you know, this is still a, a, a hurt football team. This is, this is going to be, until we can get all of our dudes back, Amy, this is going to be a find-a-way team. They've you know, they found a way the last two weeks. They've got to chisel out and find a way this week. On the other side of this game against the Commanders is a bye week for this Titans team. How important is it going to be to go into this bye week on a high note? Win. Just, you, know, you, you I mean, it just, it helps everybody mentally. It helps everybody emotionally. It helps everybody physically. I mean, it's like oxygen you've got to have it and so that's and that's not putting any extra pressure on the game people know that but you know just like just like a thursday night game you win you got a mini buy you know your buy is coming up you want to win because you know and i know we've both been doing it a long time our listeners know when you win everything's better sun's brighter everything's nicer food tastes better everything is better so win that's how important it is. I like that. I'm into it. Mac, do you have anything else? Is there anything I missed? Anything I've forgotten? No. I mean, you're always spot on. You, you're, you're spot on with your football questions. Well, thanks, Mac. I appreciate it. The Titans are getting ready to take on the Washington Commanders in Maryland, we learned earlier in the show. And we're very excited about it. Kickoff for this game is noon Central Time, 1 Eastern Time if you are heading out for the game. We hope to see you there if you are coming. If not, please tune in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on the Titans Amy and Coach Mac podcast.